0: Hello everybody and welcome back to Healthcare Experience Matters. Today's episode is a recorded webinar. It's been edited and condensed for a more friendly podcast listening experience. This webinar is entitled Avoiding Blame and Judgment and it's presented by Katie Owens. Katie is the co-founder and president of the Healthcare Experience Foundation. We're teaming with PRC to deliver today's episode For more information about PRC, please visit prccustomresearch.com. And for more information on upcoming webinars and resources from the Healthcare Experience Foundation, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.
1: Welcome everyone. My name is Katie Owens with the Healthcare Experience Foundation. I am thrilled, honored, humbled that you've joined our session today on avoiding blame and judgment, which uh, we know is a pressing challenge across the country and, and really the world right now. Just want to introduce our team at the Healthcare Experience Foundation. Our why, why we get up every day and work with organizations is because we believe every person is worthy of an environment Where they can both deliver and receive the best healthcare experience. My name, as I mentioned, is Katie Owens. I'm our president and co-founder, have spent the last 20 plus years now in healthcare working with um, for-profit, not-for-profit children's healthcare organizations in the last 12 years, coaching over 600 organizations to advance employee, physician, provider engagement, improve patient experiences of care, support offices of patient and family-centered care through culture, and so now get to lead our incredible team all across the country at Healthcare Experience Foundation. So we have three big objectives for our our experience today. Um, First, to recognize the power of negativity and the impact that blame has, not just on those that we work with, that we live with, but also ourselves provide you with some tools and resources to support healthy exchanges and to avoid blame and discover some ways to reinforce positivity, not to be disingenuous, but to be solution oriented, which is such a key to resilience in our research and in our work. And so Barbara Fredrickson is a world-renowned psychologist. She has a quote that goes something like, negative is gonna scream at you and the positive is always going to whisper or negative will stick like Velcro and the positive is gonna slide off like Teflon. And so why does this matter? Short fuses are everywhere. We don't have to look far. The reality is we are now, I think early on in the pandemic, there was a sense of helplessness. There's not much that we could do without a vaccine. Now we have a vaccine and we're dealing with not only hesitancy in the general population, also hesitancy in our staff as we are finding ways to ensure the health and welfare of our our teams. We're short-staffed at work. We're relying more heavily than ever before on the use of agencies, travelers, locums, and we're short-staffed pretty much everywhere else. If you've Um, walked into a restaurant that has the the help wanted signs or the please be patient or short staff. We know that everyone everywhere is trying to do the best that they can. And then we know our patients, there's a a brilliant article by Christine Perath and Adrian Bossy around patients are frustrated, which makes it hard for us as caregivers. And we know, and we've done a lot of work with resiliency building and caring for caregivers over the last many months, when our staff then have to have those really difficult conversations with family members who were managing visitation policies, and all of a sudden we're having to have clinical planning calls, the patient is you know, on a downward trajectory, and family members are then having this short fuse because it's all hitting them without a lot of time to process or the perspective of being able to visualize what's happening with their loved one. And so we know that you don't have to look far to see the impact that blame and negativity can have if it's not in check. And so, it's a lot easier to avoid blame when we're feeling at our best, when we're, you know, feeling that we're able to manage our workload, we're able to manage our dynamics at home. It's a lot harder when we're burning the candle at both ends. Our ability to empathize is diminished, our ability to relate to other people, we put our blinders on and so What we wanna talk about today is hitting that pause. How do we suspend blame and judgment? How do we employ emotional intelligence techniques so that we can kind of reset ourselves? Because the only person that we really have the highest degree of control over is ourself. And we don't necessarily influence by shouting our perspective louder. And so these next four questions if you take away nothing else from our time together today, I hope you reflect on some of these. When you find yourself in that stress-driven situation, you feel like you're, you're blaming, you're, you're in that negative downward spiral. Am I listening to learn or am I listening to judge? Am I trying to listen to find a way to win or am I listening to try to find a way to understand? Am I assuming positive intent? Am I part of the solution or am I exacerbating the problem? Only you can answer that question. And what I would also encourage you to do is is our coaches work with organizations um, all over the country. Is how are you helping your staff and your teammates to also self-reflect on those questions? Because that gives us more control between the stimulus and our response. And so why is this important? Placing blame or fault jeopardizes our relationships. It might feel cathartic in the moment, but before you know it, you're pulling your army of like-minded people and you're you know sharing your version and your frustration and you're getting all that reinforcement. And then it becomes a pattern. And then it becomes a further and further chasm of the situation that you're trying to manage in a healthy way. It activates our defense mechanisms. It can even trigger what we call the amygdala hijack where the primitive part of our brain takes over. And unfortunately, despite all of us thinking we're extraordinarily self-aware, we do and say a lot without realizing our impact on others or that emotional wake that we leave behind. And so especially in this current state where we're covering our micro expressions with PPE right now, we have to really double down on the fact that 93% of how we hear, especially in conflict, is tone of voice and body language. So we have to narrate our caring, make our caring visible, narrate our intent, because sometimes inadvertently, you know, the inability to leverage our microexpressions continues to reinforce distrust and mistrust. And so some check-ins, have any of these phrases creeped into your vocabulary? And if you see anything that seems familiar, um, feel free to chat that in. Um, I can't help you now. My patients are more important. This whole thing is so-and-so's fault for signing a vaccine mandate or um, in the the community or administration or somebody else's department. So-and-so really is the one that caused this problem. So we're deflecting our role in being a part of the solution because we're passing that somebody was the originating source of the problem. Making jokes in others' expenses, intimidation phrases, things like, well, you know, we're all going to get this, or we're all going to have this negative thing happen to us. Your family better watch out. Your child better watch out. If you're thinking about, you know, one of the child vaccines, you know, the recent approval of vaccines um, for children ages 5 to 11, this always or this never happens, absolutes. Pointing out somebody else's failure to make yourself look better. This is just like when, and we rehash everything that hasn't gone well for the last 10 years. Unkind facial expressions. And then speculating with negative intent. So that forecasting, that anticipatory negativity. And so here are some strategies to avoid, deflect, blame. Accurately describing your perspective, owning your story. When this happens, This is the story I have in my head. This is what I tell myself. This is my read of the situation. Is that right? Without placing blame. This is the story without judgment. Recognizing and listening to others' perspectives. And unfortunately, as as we have seen in our research, when we get into this state where we're blaming, we're judging, we tend to rally ourselves by people who think the way we do. And that's not even taking into account the whole emerging dynamics of social media, which is so prevalent. Um, how do we listen and honor other stories? How do we especially double down on kindness when we feel the ratcheting up of our own tempers and, and impatience? Eliminating butt from our vocabulary. This is so huge in so many levels, and it It's sort of now one of those hair phrases that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I hear it, because the word but really invalidates the other person's perspective. Using phrases like and, you know, I hear what you're saying, but just says, yeah, it doesn't really matter what you just said, versus I'm going to append. I hear what you're saying, and have we looked at this from this angle, or have we really tried to step into what that new graduate nurse is dealing with right now? Think about how much experience we had before we were independently doing these things. If your intent is negative, so going back to those four questions, say less. That that little filter that can pop into our brains, double down on listening, that appreciative inquiry, which we could do a whole session on. Avoiding absolutes, the always, the nevers, this has been happening forever, When you hear those things or when you find yourself saying that, do a spot check. Say, hey, can you give me, if you hear it said, can you give me some examples? So you can pressure test. If you're finding yourself saying it, check your intent. Are we being, you know, are we viewing this to build onto the problem? Are we viewing this as a way for us to interpersonally build onto the solution? Eye contact, especially now with PPE, is our most Powerful communication tool. Any of us are struggling, all of us are struggling to hear beyond the PPE, and we have to narrate our intent because those nonverbals are a most powerful communication tool. And sometimes we have to narrate our absence. I, I am hearing everything you're saying. I'm going to turn and take notes on everything that you're telling me because I don't want to forget anything. Or in a patient care example, I want to make sure I chart everything accurately so that when, you know, Dr. So-and-so comes in for a, that consulting visit, he or she is completely up to speed. That buys yourself the time and the space to turn your attention somewhere else, and it minimizes somebody feeling ignored or making up their own stories of why, you know, mid-sentence where... You know, turning our attention. And this also applies to virtual sessions. I think we've all been on the Zooms uh, or the Teams or the WebExes where video is kind of the expectation. And we know that it's also sort of something that slipped into being optional. And so, really think about what are our standards of standard expectations? And I know most of us have standards of behavior. I'm really saying here is how do we sort of bridge those into with what we're managing right now? How are we resetting those expectations and not making the assumption that my expectation is the same as your expectation? Is those upstream solutions create the clarity, it reduces the ambiguity, ambiguity that can cause that that discord, at which leads to blame, which leads to judgment, it reduces our ability to empathize. And so here's some fill in the blanks instead of try beginning or ending the day or shift with gratitude. There's some tremendous work done by Brian Sexton around the power of gratitude. Take responsibility for your behaviors with self-compassion. So don't dwell on the mistakes. Spend time with the people who lift you up. And really try to minimize your time with those who suck the energy out of the room or or drag you and anchor you down. Go out of your way to give compliments. And we, we see this a lot when we do workshops on conflict management and giving feedback. Sometimes if our bank account is empty, it's really hard to draw on it when we need to have an accountability conversation. And so when we double up on hey, that was an excellent job, the way you just connected with that family. I know that they've been under a lot of duress because they haven't been able to come in and and see, you know, this patient. That really exemplifies compassion to me. Go out of your way to give those compliments, to say those thank yous. Uh, Even we've seen tips around uh, reading inspirational sayings, putting them up in break rooms, especially since social distancing is um, still in play in most of your organizations. We'll talk about this a little bit more with respecting the pause. When we feel ourselves triggered, sometimes just saying the word to ourselves, stop, or counting from five to one in another language gives us more control back in our response work towards goals. So beginning each day with intention, beginning each shift with intention versus let's just kind of see how it's going to go. And then seeking out ways. I know this sounds simple. I know we're covering up our smiles right now, but what are some other ways to just kind of respond with extra kindness right now? What are ways to make other people smile? We just did a a great session with um, some subspecialty physicians and just talking about ways that they take just a few extra seconds in an exam or in a consult, just to go you know, find a compliment, find something to really make that person feel seen and heard right now. So avoiding blame doesn't mean that your needs are unimportant, that you should not feel or, or cannot feel the range of emotions, anger, disappointment, frustration, You know, when we teach emotional intelligence, we we pay a lot of attention to that self-awareness because, you know, if we can't name the emotion with some precision, it's a much harder hill to climb to then be in a position to manage it and empathize with others and to be aware of those emotional shortcuts, especially with negative emotions. Things like I feel, yeah, I'm just stressed today. I'm just tired. I'm, I'm just angry. Really think about why am I this? Why am I tired? Why am I frustrated? Because when you can dig into those emotions, it gives us a lot more ability to be aware of how we're coming across to others and how we're managing ourselves to be in a position to manage relationships in a healthy manner. It also doesn't mean you can't respectfully advocate for yourself, your team, your patients, and your family. Doesn't mean you have to stay silent that you've lost choices. This is about giving you power over yourself and a productive mindset to be solution-oriented and build relationships in one of the most stressful situations we have ever faced. Each one of your teams has unfortunately had a front row seat to more grief than we have ever experienced at different waves and phases, not just experiencing the grief, but the anticipatory grief. And so we really want to respect the pause. Um, This is a graphic we cover in in much more detail when we're doing a workshop. But when when you first pay attention to your listening, that first thing that comes to mind, am I judging? Am I angry? Do I feel defensive? Can I turn this into a learning? Can I be curious and open? Are my nonverbals in check? How can my strengths be a solution? And just thinking about using judgment. What's my stress response? Is my stress response to deflect? Is my stress response to find an excuse? Is my stress response to um, getting the the palmy hands? Or I, I don't have a necklace on today, but mine is I'm twisting my necklace. Intention. Am I assuming positive intent? Am I saying or about to say something to help or hurt the person? Choice. Is this something that I need to say? Is this something that I need to email? If somebody forwarded this email or text message to somebody else, how would I feel about them seeing my perspective on this? Do I need to let this sit and marinate overnight when I have time? Empathy. What's the other person's point of view? We could do a whole session on influence and the negotiation of influence, When we can step back and see something from the other person's perspective, it gives us great power over our ability to connect, to respect their their story and their beliefs, and we can use some tools for appreciative inquiry. It's the precursor that motivates us to be compassionate. And so thinking through, what can I do or say to demonstrate understanding to try to relieve their suffering? Am I listening actively? Am I listening to respond? Am I listening to learn? Am I also listening to find out where I might need to apologize? Are my words respectful in what I say, in what I type or text? Um, And is what I'm about to say going to lift this person up or tear this person down? Is there a better way, time or place to say this? And those examples that I shared to overcome that that hijack, stop, focus on our breathing. Um, A a really great um, physician assistant that we get to work with uses a a squeegee mentality as he's trying to, you know, go in and out of patient rooms. Um, he, He works in an ICU and he says, you know, just in between my consults, I just imagine I'm washing my car and I'm going up with the squeegee and I'm going to the side with the squeegee. So I'm clearing it out. And then counting from five to one in another language. When we find ourselves needing to help us bring ourselves back to center, here are some tips for you to regulate responses. Ask questions to uncover more. Being genuinely curious is very powerful. Help me understand. Can you share with me an example? When you say this, what do you mean by that? You've said always, can you give me some examples? How can I make this better? Never making accusations. This is your fault. Buy yourself time. Silence is okay. You know, and even sometimes narrating our silence or I know I'm being silent right now. I'm just taking a moment to process this and think about how I can help be a part of the solution or help support you. Writing things down. Let me write down what you're saying. Paraphrase. So what I'm hearing you say is this. Am I correct? What have I misunderstood? And especially when you can name their emotion. I'm hearing frustration in your voice when you said this. Am I correct? Those little micro steps Help us with our mirroring behavior that helps us establish more speed to trust. And having self-awareness and ownership of our own tone of voice and body language. It's really incumbent upon us to get to know what it looks like on the other side of us. And so anytime you have the opportunity to talk to somebody that you respect, that you value as a mentor, hey, when, when you've seen me upset, what do I look like? What do I sound like? What are some times that maybe you felt like I didn't mean to come across in a negative way that allows us to, in a trusting environment, grow our own awareness and appreciation for what it means to be on the other side of us. And then mirroring to build trust, You know, even when we, especially socially distance, when we turn on our cameras, when we can tell we're paying attention versus doing other things, Never to match aggression. When somebody is furious, get curious. I've, I've used that example. Tell me more about this. Help me understand what can make this better. What would you like to see happen? If we can't change this, what's our next best? This allows us to be more inquisitive, more appreciative in our, our questioning, and ask some calibrated questions to deflect and, and allow them the chance to get back down to baseline. And I would say as a tip for leaders, recognizing, and, and I know you know this because the best leaders are the best learners and that's why you're here today. You're on stage and whatever leadership capacity you are in formal or informal. There's some great work done by Harvard around executive amplification that in leadership roles are our, our moves Our things that we laugh at, things that we joke about, things that we say are under such a microscope that so many times we don't even realize the scrutiny of our actions. And so thinking about how you represent an issue, are we representing an issue to, um, and maybe you have had this happen as a senior leader where somebody throws you under the bus to make themselves look better. And so just always be thinking about how am I coming across Am I adding to the solution? Am I perpetuating the negativity? We also know there's there's a, a growing body of research that there is an inverse relationship between empathy and burnout. So as empathy goes up, our likelihood of burnout diminishes. On the flip side, as our empathy goes down, our likelihood of burnout increases. And so there's also a role of, personal resilience here. Higher personal resilience is associated with greater use of task-oriented coping strategies and more adaptive outcomes, more agility. Also, we have less reliance on non-constructive emotional-oriented strategies, so negativity, rumination, worry, blame, And so I included an image and I know on our webinar, you know, archives, we have a session on building resilience and our six steps at Healthcare Experience Foundation. It really begins with vision and purpose, layers into self-awareness and management, having a learner growth-oriented mindset, committing to habits for self-care and mindfulness, and then having confidence and a deep appreciation, despite everything that is ridiculously hard right now. How have our own histories, personal, professional skills, experiences equipped us to be uniquely qualified to manage the situations that we're in? I want to close out making sure that I share with you some additional resources that we have. We have a resiliency series at Healthcare Experience Foundation for those organizations who need more dedicated support covering topics like emotional intelligence and crisis coping with death and dying, suspending judgment, COVID-19 and beyond, boosting leadership, agility, leader resiliency, which leader resiliency is one of the lesser talked about topics for a whole host of reasons right now, because we're tending, you know, as, as leaders are, we have all grown up running to the fire to try to serve. And, it's it's almost a hard topic to talk about, leader self-compassion, leader resilience, because we don't want to feel that we're selfish. We also have our new Healthcare Experience Academy, our growing library of on-demand micro-learning resources. It's our video-based and e-learning strategies. We're always reminded of this Louisa May Alcott, the um, author of Little Women. Painful as it might be, a significant emotional event can be the catalyst for choosing a direction that serves us and those around us more effectively if we look for the learning. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation with today's episode teaming with PRC. To learn more, visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.